Welcome to The Hub Dialogues, a podcast that celebrates big thinkers and bold ideas about a better future for all of us. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the executive director of The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. Our goal at The Hub is to escape the opinion bubbles of conventional conversation and prod our popular discourse back to the issues and ideas that can shape our collective future. On The Hub Dialogues, you'll hear Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, in conversation with some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers about the issues and ideas they're passionate about and that they think we should spend more time focusing on. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granosky gluskin Charitable Foundation. Enjoy this Hub Dialogue. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, Editor-at-Large at The Hub. I'm honored to be joined today by Rudyard Griffiths, The Hub's Executive Director. I thought it would be a good idea to wrap up 2022 with a conversation about The Hub at 20 months, including how we're doing, what we've learned, and what might be new in 2023. Rudyard, thanks for joining us at Hub Dialogues. Hey, Sean, I'm honored to make it on the program. What, <laughs> what is this, like 100 and 60, 170 episodes, and finally scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> you've got the executive director on. You you guys must have really run out of content by the end of well, the year. Well, I, I have a, my mind on my Christmas bonus, which I, I hope is in front of you somewhere. <laughs> You're right, though, Rudyard. One of our major developments in the second year at the Hub has been the launch of, of Hub Dialogues, which, which has really benefited from the hard work and 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 dedication of our producer Mal Atar Guzman and because of that I think this episode will be something like 165th so wow in, congratulations yeah thank you very yeah. much so you know we we finally got to you and I'm I'm grateful to be able to draw on your your kind of insights and thoughts of our work at the hub well this is what I thought we could do for the benefit of listeners because we we're always trying to put ourselves into service of our listeners so instead of Blowing our horn and you know running around the block with pots and pans and arms saying how great the hub is. We think that's pretty <laughs> special. A lot of you seem to enjoy it too, which is great. I thought it might be more interesting, Sean, just to talk about the kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly to invoke one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies and just how that this year has been an incredible year of learning, like you know, different platforms that we've rolled out to engage with our readers, our listeners, our consumers of the hub from our website to our podcast platform, to our YouTube channel, to a whole complicated social media strategy. And, you know, not all of it was seamless. Not all of it was, you know, uh, A to B to C to D. So I, I think it'd be fun maybe to get into some of that and, and maybe to get, you know, over the course of the show, let's give out our email and there's some, you know, people out there who are listening to us thinking, yes. Guys, you know, you're really not thinking about that the right way. You know, send us send us an email. Um, so let's start with the podcast, Sean, because in some ways, this is something you've been really involved with over the last year. And I would I gotta say it's been a pleasant surprise that this podcast has delivered a significant audience now, um, almost 12 months into the in, since its launch, and it started to become a source of revenue for the hub indirectly, and in that we now have a foundation, the, the Maxine and Ira Gluskin-Granovsky Charitable Foundation that's supporting our podcast. So 
what happened there, Sean? Like, why why do you think this worked for us? Because we can talk about some of the things that didn't work, <laughs> but this certainly did. And I and I still can't quite figure out what it is. Is it just simply that the the means of talking and sharing information through a podcast is kind of in sync with what our audience likes? I mean, is it that simple? I think that's a big part of it. I also think it's been something of a virtuous cycle. Rudyard, as you know, and, and listeners will know, a, a major target for us as guests has been people who are out promoting books, who've written books and want to talk about them. And if there's anything we like here at Hub Dialogues is talking about um, big ideas and interesting topics. And I, I think the reason it's become a, virt a virtuous cycle is we've been able to demonstrate to authors and publishers you know, that our conversations are substantive, that they are about uh, elevating the ideas and analysis of the authors. They're not about gotcha politics. And, uh, and, and it produces a, a, a solid listenership. And, and so that kind of mix, I think, has enabled us to get some just really extraordinary guests. Uh, think of someone like Francis Fukuyama, for instance, or John Eikenberry, or or a Ross Douth at the New York Times columnist, and and on and on and on. And so I I think we've we've hit something of our stride. I, I wouldn't go back and listen to, listen to those initial episodes. I I think my hosting remains a, a work in progress. But to the extent to which it's been successful, it's because of the quality of our of our guests and. And the one thing I'm really excited about is we've turned our mind to 2023. Amal is already working hard to secure guests for next year. And, and we have some really exciting names on that list and intend to keep going, providing you know, in-depth conversations on big issues facing Canada and, and, and really the world. Yeah. So I think one of the interesting things to me about the podcast is that it also exists on the website as a transcript, which then... It is valuable to some people. They seem to like the transcript, but more importantly, you know, Google likes the transcript. So it becomes a way for people to discover us through the, through the website in terms of the guests we host. And I guess that to me has been one of the, the learnings of this year is that for content to succeed and ultimately for the hub to succeed as a provider of content, it's really about finding types of media and then repurposing them into different formats because different audiences are going to reach you through different formats. And then you get this kind of multiplier effect. It seems to not with everything we do, to be honest about it, but with some things we do, you get into this, this great feeling of like a virtuous circle where one thing is feeding off something else. And that in turn, the website is feeding back into the podcast and vice versa. So we're going to try to do a lot more with the podcast because the numbers are great and growing fast. And we're going to try to See if we can't turn that virtuous circle into like a full-blown flywheel and really try to move the podcast audience onto the website and the, and the website audience onto the podcast and vice versa. So, you know, thank you guys. It's, it, it, it's a different strategy. And I think maybe that's what might interest some of our listeners. Like, what is the methodol what is the methodological madness that Sean has been following here? And it's instead of producing, you know, one podcast every week, which would give you 50 episodes, not 165. We kind of went for volume and, and the notion of a long tail, that there would be certain episodes that would really pop. And what's really cool about podcasting is that there's these people out there called completionists who once they find your feed, they're driven 
to listen to Sean's dulcet tones, not for one, <laughs> two, or three episodes, but for 165. So we thank the completionists that are listening to uh, Hub Dialogues. Yeah, in, in, indeed. I hope they're still listening to this episode. Uh, <laughs> one thing that we've experimented a, a bit with our podcast and we intend to do more in 2023 is a broader range of, of voices and subjects than you might find on the website typically. I think it's fair to say that the Hub's issue set is principally economic and foreign policy issues with a particular focus on Canada. And I think what we've sought to do through the podcast is cover a wider range of issues and topics. And that's been one of the most rewarding things for me, Rudyard. You know, if I look back at some of the feedback we've received, it's the episode on bugs or the episode we did on love and, and, and grief, you know, which, which was terrific. Or uh, the episode with Tariq Tahad, the Syrian refugee behind the peace with chocolate business in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, which has really taken off. And so I, I hope what the podcast does in part is expose a wider audience to the hub than those who would necessarily be drawn to the typical content on the site. And, and, and yeah. I've been grateful for Amal, who, who is dogged in chasing down prospective guests, even if at the face of it, it seems like a bit of a crazy proposition. Yeah. So some legitimate laurel restings that you can do, Sean, at the end of the year on your 160 plus episodes. Let, let's go to an area which has been a bigger challenge, frankly, which has been trying to figure out how to fundraise off our audience. Uh, we have spent a lot of time trying to think, what is the process by which to first attract people to us as a source for information where hopefully they, they see value in what they hear and read? And then try to create a relationship with them where they understand that that value is the reflection of a series of costs, right? Like there are salaries to be paid. There is infrastructure that has to happen to underwrite the production of that content. And then when they understand that, hopefully they become a, a donor because we are a charity and we have an ability to provide a charitable tax receipt. And I, I've been, I've been, you know, a little surprised and at times, as you know, Sean, a bit a bit frustrated at the extent to which it seems hard to make those connections. And, you know, the easy thing to say, well, it would be that, oh, well, the content's not there. You know, the, the content isn't valuable enough for people to perceive that and therefore to understand that donating is what makes that content possible. But I think our reader surveys and other things we've done with our, with people who are visiting us and consuming us is, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction in what we produce. So I'm curious to what your thoughts are. Is it just, you know, the inundation of everyone with everything that it kind of works against us? Is it just how small the Canadian market is at the end of the day? Because, you know, and you can talk about this, Sean. We we did, you know, look and kick the tires of some American analogs to the hub, many of which, you know, I look at enviously in terms of how they've been able to create legions of small donors who are then, you know, funding their operations and in sustaining the type of community that that they're all about. Yeah, it's a it's a great question because in a way the people are voting with their eyeballs 
in the sense that we're, we've seen significant increase in traffic on the site year over year in our, our second year of operations, but they haven't yet started to vote with their wallets, <laughs> uh, as you say. And part of part of our work at the hub is to figure out the, that that gap of the gulf between the two. I think there probably are a number of factors um, behind that gulf. Uh, you mentioned a few. Let me put one other on the table. Uh, which has been a trade-off that we've made from day one, but it's a trade-off that I stand behind. And that is, Rudyard, that we've tried to model a type of public discourse and an analysis that's dispassionate, that is respectful, and that kind of eschews the trend in a lot of the media environment towards you know high volume, and by which I mean uh, the decibel turned up to 10, and what you might call clickbait. You know, I, I think we probably could see a significant boost in our traffic and our fundraising if we made those trade-offs, but I, I think we were right not to. It's not kind of who you and me are as individuals. And I hope that, you know, sort of part of the qualitative benefit of the hub is to model a type of public engagement and public discourse that is desperately needed and elsewhere, but you know, as you say, that comes with some some costs. And I hope that over time, people come to recognize the benefit of our approach and 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 want to support it precisely for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think that is a critical point, and you know, everyone hopefully who's reading and listening to the hub understands that that we're. We're not taking the easy route here. There is a proven business model out there. I call them anger factories, where you create content that is purposely designed to elicit engagement first and foremost on social media, and that through the the out you use the algorithms, you leverage the algorithms with with that content to then get people to come back to your website to then you know bring them into for better or worse a yelling match or a place where everyone violently agrees with each other yes. about issue X, Y, or Z. So we're, we're trying not to do that, but at times, you know, Sean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to be so counter trend in a way to try not to try to resist the temptation to sensationalize, to enrage, to provoke, I mean, we're we're going to keep doing that, but and this is not this is not to make a donations appeal in the middle of this episode, but it it's to say that if, if people do appreciate that type of content, then like guys, it doesn't just this doesn't just materialize. It's not you know flagetsum or something that comes. It, it you know. kind of reminds me. Bear bear with the analogy, but um, you know, one of my favorite guests on Hub Dialogues over the past uh, fifteen months or so has been the dean of American conservatism, George Will. And as a younger man, George Will was a writer at National Review, and um, you know, the, the great American conservative magazine. And he was calling on the resignation of Richard Nixon at the height of Watergate. And it cost National Review a lot of subscriptions. But William F. Buckley Jr., the editor, backed will. And we've made some of those choices. I don't, I don't want to, you know, sound like, you know, like I have some kind of victim notion of myself or the hub, but I, you know, I think for instance of your piece, Rudyard, one of, one of the articles this year that's generated the most buzz calling out the excesses on the right with regards to the world economic forum and the conspiracy theories 
that that have beset parts of Canadian conservatism. I think of the article that I wrote in the aftermath of Jason Kenney's sacking in Alberta and the extent to which it reflected what I called a, a kind of oppositional mindset that is similarly kind of taken over parts of the Canadian right. We got some pushback for those articles and we probably lost some subscribers, but it seems to me that's exactly the kind of stuff that we need in our public discourse in general, and particularly um, when it comes to the state of Canadian conservatism, which is going through, uh, especially in the kind of COVID era, something of a, of a period of anger and grievance that I think is ultimately unhealthy. So yeah, I, I think you're right that that there are costs and, and consequences of the choices that we've made, and, and hopefully readers come to see value in those choices because I think it's 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 really important now as it frankly as it's ever been. Yeah, and I think one of the areas to me these issues kind of come together, at least for, for me on a day day-to-day basis, looking at the hub and how it's performing is in social media. And it's it's you know the the hub like many you know startups kind of information startups has really relied on on social media to have people discover us to find out, hey, there is this thing. I'm interested in this article. They've served this article up to me. And I'm, you know, in some ways, I'm hugely grateful to Facebook and Twitter at providing us with that opportunity to take pieces of our content, to put small ad spends behind them, and then to target that content towards people that we think could be interested in it. So that side of social media is just fantastic. What I find though, or what I've learned through this process is that what comes back often is not in a sense, it doesn't model the type of discourse that, you know, we want to model at the hub, that that there's a an incongruence between the audience that we're tr- that we're trying to talk to and that's actually finding us on social media versus you know the audience that at the end of the day we want to build and that we want we want to be part of a conversation with us about the ideas and issues that we're, we're discussing at the hub. So I don't know what you think about that, Sean. It's kind of, it's partly chicken egg, partly cart and horse, but it, it is an ongoing quandary for us, which is how do we find, because we know they're out there. How do we find the people that are going to really appreciate who we are and, and acknowledge the fact that many of them are not on Facebook and Twitter at this moment? You're one click away from getting access to all the Hub's best analysis and insights. Visit our website, www.thehub.ca now and sign up for our weekly email news digest. Every Saturday morning, we'll send to your inbox the cutting edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors on the week that was. Dive in to the big issues and ideas moving the public conversation, courtesy of The Hub. Again, you can grab that exclusive email newsletter right now, free of charge, at www.thehub.ca. Now back to our program. Yeah, I think that's right. I've come to think of some of the people that you're describing who find us via social media, but then don't stick around because they are content isn't giving them the kind of dopamine hit or bias affirmation that they want. I, I've come to call them kind of low calorie readers or low calorie <laughs> listeners. You know, we put a lot of work into them and then they don't 
provide the kind of sustenance. And, and as you say, we're in the search for high calorie readers and listeners, people who are going to see value in what we're doing and, and, and keep coming back. And, and that's hard because the, you know, it's easy. We know how to attract those low calorie ones, right? You put, you know, you put a photo of, of Justin Trudeau or Pierre Polyev or Donald Trump or something like that in front of them and, and gin them up and they'll sign up or at least they'll check out the site, but they're, they're probably not there. As you say, there's an incongruity between what brought them there and what we're actually delivering. And so I think that again, is the kind of work that we've been doing to, to find readers who are really good and listeners who are really going to see value in the hubs kind of ethos and, and approach. But I, I, I think we've seen, we've made some progress in, in, in the past several months, you know, let me just put a couple of things that I'm, proud of on the table. We've recently done a, a partnership with the National Post on a, a series of deep dives on the state of Canadian healthcare that just wrapped up this week, the week of December 12th. Those articles, which are meaty, you know, two, three, four thousand words each, a lot of interviews behind them, data analysis, and they've really performed well both on our site and the National Post site, um, which is a sign, it seems to me, that there is a marketplace for the kind of insights and analysis that we're focused on. What, what do you think? What do you think of the partnership model? Is that something maybe uh, we, mm -hmm. we might pursue more of in 2023? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things to take away here from you know the year there was. One is that, as you say, once you do put this type of content that in some ways is increasingly rare it's certainly less abundant than it used to be because in the current media landscape that's under information landscapes under a lot of pressure financially there's just no reason for a company to assign you know someone a, a writer like our Stuart thompson our editor-in-chief who used to be a journalist at the national post to to write you know three four thousand words on healthcare wait times you can get as many clicks and as much engagement and what's called a CPM or price per thousand impressions, you know, with a whole bunch of other content that's a lot shorter, that's maybe more celebrity driven, again, maybe more anger, motion laden. So it, I do think there's something positive and, and suggests, you know, we're onto something and just maybe a longer path, a longer kind of climb to summit or to reach our, our goal, because that stuff demonstrably works on our site. It's some of the best performing content that we have. And the other really cool stat that I, I take away from the last year, which seems to suggest we're heading in the right direction is that we've seen, you know, steady growth of our traffic doubling now, you know, year over year, but returning users doubling. So what's interesting is we're growing audience, but then that audience is coming back. And I think what I would really worry about is, let's say we were at this point and we'd quadrupled audience, but our returning users were declining. Then to me, that would really be mission, you know, mission failure. So I think there's something here where we're, we're, we're doing something right because they are coming back and the total size of the pie that we're baking, you know, week in and week out, month after month is growing and growing steadily. So, can I can I ask a, a, a related but 
separate question that I get asked sometimes by, by members of the Hub community that, you know, I must say I was involved in, but you really had a, a kind of integral insight at the outset of this project. And that was a decision to build our own site, which has, you know, obviously it was more costly than using prefabricated models like Substack, which had been popular with other upstart media organizations. But one of the major upsides has been just this empirical treasure trove that we own that, as I like to tell people sometimes, Rudyard, if you're a competitive person like I am, can kind of make you a bit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Because every week you can know, as you say, not just how many people were on the site and what stories or articles they were reading, but how frequently they've been back, how they've come to us. And, you know, it can, you can start to go down a bit of a rabbit's hole thinking about, did we use the right headline? Did we use the mm. right image? Did it run on the right day? You know, and, and so on. But setting aside some of those questions, which we could talk about forever, why don't you just talk about what your insight was to make the initial investment to, to, to build mm-hmm. a site that I think is looking in, uh, really terrific these days? Listeners know that Sean is brutal when it comes to looking at the performance of his own pieces on the hub. So <laughs> if, if you knew how this can just crush him when he's not in the top top three pieces for the week, he would be be clicking and reading Sean Spear a lot more. <laughs> Why didn't we go the Substack route? You know, it was we launched the hub. Remember, this is back in April of 2020, kind of peak pandemic. Not our choice, but we'd been planning it the previous year in 2019 and Substack really was becoming all the rage. And I, I certainly was, you know, tempted because in a sense, the cost structure for launch kind of goes down almost to zero because you just end up sharing subscription revenue with Substack. But the thing with Substack and Substack has really struggled this year. A lot of writers leaving it, the platform is anything but plat- uh, profitable. I was shocked to read that Substack's total revenues were in the order of nine, ten million dollars US. I, I thought it would be 10x, 100x that. I think it's its fundamental flaw is that it's brandless. Mm. It's it's like walking into a no frills. And unless you have some really strong personalities like Matt Taibbi, who we recently, you know, featured in the pages of the hub or Barry Weiss is another big hit on the hub. Unless you are coming from a large incumbent media organization with a, in a sense, a big installed and you know really engaged kind of readership, going into that no frills environment, I think is just a sure way for you just to lose what little identity you might have. And in our case, we had no identity, right? Mm. So. I think what the website and all the t- effort and time we've spent on branding, which I hope our our readers uh, and listeners enjoy, that we do spend time thinking about how we communicate with you, whether it's obviously in a story, but even down to our, our kind of emails and the layout and the logos and the graphics that we use. You know, all of that to me is what is going to create, you know, a sense of community, identity, you know, purpose, intentionality, and um, boy, you know, don't I look smart this year because (laughs) Substack 
yeah, all, in fact, Patreon, they're, they're all having problems. And maybe that goes back partly to our conversation about donations and our challenges in getting people to become individual donors. I think this last year for everybody has been tough. I think as interest rates have gone up, it's a disposable income has come under pressure because of debt servicing. I think the tip jar, the whole idea of the electronic tip jar, you know, it's been shaken this year. And I think creators generally are finding that this is a tough environment to be in because everyone's under everyone's under more pressure financially, and they're looking at, do I really need a subscription to, you know, these six different platforms? Again, shameless pitch: we can give you a charitable tax receipt. So not like think about that. Okay, you can get great, you can support great content, and you can also get a charitable tax receipt. You want to reflect a bit rudyard on the issues that seem to resonate the most with our with our readers you know this is Mm -hmm. something that we track very carefully not just through the site but we've also i think you alluded earlier have done a survey of our readers and there's been you know through this process i think an ability to discern the types of issues that seem to really grab our our community. Um, would you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you have the really good insights into this too. I mean, I, I think it's a mix of what's topical. So you get things like housing, healthcare, what I would call, you know, national affairs. So, you know, the conservative leadership campaign or things like that, that episodically come along and capture interest. But I think, you know, scratch beneath those kind of issues in the news, so to speak. And I think what, what I'm left with is a, uh, is a readership that is really engaged on the big kind of national questions of the day. And it doesn't surprise me that when we do our audience research that we find majority of readers are like me. I'm 50, 51 going on 52. They're older, generally civically engaged. So our surveys show they they voted high rates. They you know, are people, they're kind of people who send letters to the editor, God bless them. Um, you know, and there are also people who are often in leadership positions in their own organization. So all of this goes back to something I originally thought at the very beginning of this project, that the hub is more about quality than quantity. We need a certain amount of quantity because we need to create, hopefully, again, that that virtuous circle that then becomes, a, you know, the content flywheel of donors funding content and then that content getting out and satisfying, you know, a failure, a market failure in the current news and information environment where you don't get the type of content that the hub produces because it's not economically feasible for most commercial entities to produce that, or it's much easier for them to be commercially successful by producing other types of content. So I don't know, Sean, I just, I go back to a community that is, you know, Let's not ubiquitous in Canada, uh, unfortunately, but maybe it's like this in every democracy, but it's a community that we really value. And the challenge is, is finding them, is finding those people that meet that profile of civically engaged leaders in their communities, businesses, inclined towards some idea of a national purpose, a national conversation. So I think you can hear in my voice that I I really respect this group. It's largely the community, the intellectually that I grew up with, but I'm also not naive enough to think that a lot of the winds in our society are blowing in a different direction towards pol- you know, polarization, 
radicalization, you know, the local and regional over over the national, the and the international. So the, the hub, you know, I would say to that, you know, it's slightly an oppositional project, right? Like we're opposing some of the forces that we see out there and and our success or failure will in some ways be a judgment on whether those forces got the better of us or whether we were able to create some kind of sustainable project in the context of of finding and meeting our readers where they are and giving them what they want. Yeah, I think that is is especially important, right? This is a kind of balance that we've been working through since day one. You know, because we're not market supported, we do have the ability to look beyond the day-to-day machinations of political scandal or, you know, the kind of banal performance of question period and all the rest and look at some issues more fundamentally and deeper. I think, for instance, of Jeff Russ's recent article for us, our journalism fellow, Jeff Russ, who's been a huge boon to the Hub's insights and analysis. He published a a long-form piece for us on some of the underlying issues that are standing in the way of getting public transit projects complete in our major cities. You know, you could have found something similar somewhere else in the, the news and information ecosystem that would have pointed fingers at different politicians and, and all the rest. And we had the ability to go a bit deeper, a bit more analytical. But as you say, you don't want to be so far removed, you know, the, the, the kind of day-to-day questions that people are grappling with so as to become a bit out of touch and a bit out of step. And so that's something we're constantly working through. How can we work with our terrific contributors, um, some of the kind of sharpest minds in the country, and we're always finding new and different voices, which has been really exciting, but make sure it's kind of rooted in, as you say, the big questions facing the country without without be- becoming too far removed from people's day-to-day experiences. That's the kind of sweet spot, I think, for the hub and something we continue to work on. Let's wrap up and just talk about the year to come. So I think your readers and listeners are going to see a lot of continuity. So we're going to have things like, obviously, the Hub Dialogue and the podcast continuing on. As you say, people like Jeff Russ, Stuart Thompson, you're going to see as much and hopefully more kind of information-based analysis uh, to balance out the other types of commentary that we provide. But I think, Sean, I'm certainly excited about Again, trying to continue to, you know, pick the lock. That's an analogy we like to use of, yes. of membership and trying to figure out how to bring more people into us and then have them understand the value, the value proposition of what we do and why we need their support. And also to look at, you know, other distribution channels. I think YouTube is something that is increasingly showing depth and you know, platform-like capacity, not just for the frivolous stuff or the useful stuff. I recently fixed my dishwasher with a YouTube video. <laughs> I just love that. Saved an entire repair bill. But I think there's the potential for us to to start to, again, leverage the hub on top of these other platforms and then put these platforms and these audiences together and aggregate through different subscription models, some of which may not, in fact, ever be direct subscribers to The Hub. They may be direct subscribers to a podcast feed or to a YouTube channel or to a newsletter. 
and put that all together and then hopefully get that kind of cold fusion going where suddenly the sum is sustained by a greater set of parts. Yeah, we we called this project the hub with intentionality, right? It was that kind of idea that it would be built around um, a community of people interested in ideas and public policy and governance, and they may come to us through different spokes, whether that's YouTube or a podcast or the, the website itself. We've always had ambitions to create that culture of community. One of the impediments, of course, as you said earlier, Rudyard, was that we, we <laughs> launched in the middle of a once-in-a-century pandemic. But I, I think we're starting to build that. You know, Just uh, last month, I guess, we had something approaching 50 Hub subscribers attend the Monk debate through a special offering and a partnership between the Hub and, and the Monk debates, for which we were tremendously grateful. Uh, I think we'd like to do some more of that in 2023. How can we engage our community members in a two-way conversation? You know, part of that I think is the Hub Roundtable, the Friday podcast, which is a bit less formal, a, a bit less high-minded at times than Hub Dialogues, our Tuesday and Thursday podcast. I think we'd like to do some more events in 2023, things like pub nights, things like we've even talked at times about book clubs. We we will soon have hub ball caps to, to offer listeners and readers. So I think, you know, we've gotten the kind of basic foundations solid after 20 months into this project. And I think what we want to see in 2023, not just how we grow, but also how we expand the depth of the relationship between the hub and its community. And, and you know, I think that is a, a real priority in, in, the, coming, in the coming year. Excellent. Well, look, any listener that's made it to the end of this podcast <laughs> is truly one of our most valued and important supporters. So I'm going to give out the rarest of emails, which you hardly ever disclose. Top secret, Stuart Thompson's iPhone email, our editor-in-chief, and it's editorial at thehub.ca. So if you're listening to this conversation between Sean and me, you've you've either clued into something we're doing that we're doing right and you think we should do more of it, we'd love to have your feedback editorial at thehub.ca. And if you think there's something there's we're missing, I mean, what I always, I love crowdsourcing. I love the wisdom of crowds. If you're a regular Hub listener and you have ideas for guests that we should have on the Hub Dialogues, yes. or you have a thought, a suggestion, an idea, some hard-won experience on how to crack a membership model for an organization like ours, please send it our way to editorial at thehub.ca. And Sean Stewart and I have regular management calls, and we are constantly discussing these issues that we've gone through with you today, from content to delivery to audience identification to audience satisfaction. So your feedback, your advice, your suggestions to editorial at thehub.ca would be hugely, hugely appreciated. Well, and I guess back to me now in my final hosting capacity in 2022, Rudyard Griffiths, Executive Director of The Hub. I want to thank you for joining us at Hub Dialogues. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us on this journey over the past 12 months. We look forward to catching up with you in 2023 and building and growing Hub Dialogues next year. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hub Dialogues, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please share your favorite Hub podcast with friends and family, subscribe wherever you get your audio online, and leave us a rating and review. We greatly appreciate your feedback and comments. I'm the Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths, the host of today's program with Sean Spear, the Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atar Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Gronowski-Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.